Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is all I know. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm so glad that you're with us for the second installment of this story series. This is actually part of my story. If you have not listened to the first episode in this series, I would suggest that you pop out of this recording and um, head back to the All I Know website where you can pick up the first episode in this series. You'll definitely want to listen to that before diving into today. So where we left off last time was in the wake of a breakup, and I was talking about how the coming year had a lot of complications of its own to bring with it. So that's where we're headed today. He was very tearful and just ended our relationship without explanation. And I did not know what to make of that. I mean, I was bewildered and sad and it was difficult, but but not surprised probably given the pattern, probably the pattern of breaking up and being off and on so much. Were you surprised? I don't remember. Okay. I mean, I guess... There had to have been a level of surprise because, like I said, for me, our engagement was imminent. So there had to be a measure of that. But I don't know. Honestly, I don't I don't remember whether there was surprise. I was devastated, but I had no idea the devastation that was to come because what I felt that night in April was nothing compared to what happened the following year. So the relationship ends, he goes silent. I'm trying to pick up the pieces of my life and adult and figure all of that out. And I guess it was sometime later that fall. So this happens in April, I think it was September or October. I'm in my classroom with our students at that residential treatment center. The phone rings, I answer for the classroom and he is on the other end of the phone and is like asking me to meet up with him and talk to him. And I was just like, I felt so invaded upon getting this phone call at work. I don't remember if he had been calling me and I had been ignoring him because caller ID was a really big deal between me and my roommate at that time. We totally couldn't pay our bills, but we were always <laughs> saying that we were not going to skimp on caller ID because we wanted to know who was calling. We weren't going to pick up the phone if we didn't know who it was. And this is before cell phones and stuff. So, wow, that just made me feel really old. I know. I was going to say, like, who even answers their phone anymore? I'm kind of like, nope. nope. 
but picture being tethered to a landline without caller ID. So, yeah, we... As a single lady. No way, no way. man. We we found a way. We dug deep to pay for the caller <laughs> ID. So I don't know if he had been calling and I'd been ignoring it, but whatever. He, like, made this entrance at school. And so, long story short, we agreed that we would talk later that day. I was not willing to do it in person because I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself because I still loved him. There had been so much pining and yearning and wishing and and obviously the relationship was very on again, off again. So I didn't trust myself to see him, but I agreed to a conversation. And that night we spoke on the phone and what was revealed to me was really a betrayal of proportions that I never imagined would come from this person or this relationship, even in spite of the on again, off again quality. Like a level of betrayal that you can't come back from. Well, I guess a healthy person, a together person probably would have said, we can't come back from this, but I was still open to working on it. Okay. Even after I... was like, where are you going with that? I I was still open to working on it. Which is how I got into the trouble that followed. (laughs) Because if I had had that boundary of, okay, thanks for letting me know, but there's nowhere to go from here, then the things that happened the following six months would not have been an issue, right? So he makes this confession and wants to see me and over a period of the next I don't know probably somewhere between four and six weeks we're doing this really weird dance of whether or not we're going to see each other and I finally agree to sit down with him and it's Thanksgiving weekend we get together for dinner at this restaurant I remember walking into the restaurant I still have such a vivid memory of this of like walking in and being at the host stand and seeing him stand up from the table over her shoulder. So he's there and has a table. And I just burst into tears and went Aww. to the bathroom. <laughs> and this is like about a year after you guys broke up. So I get home in like August. The following April is the phone call where he ends it. The oh, following okay. September, okay. October is the confession. And then now we're at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving time having this dinner. So I don't know how I managed to pull myself together in the bathroom, but I did and came to the table and it was, it was our pattern, right? I love you. I want to be with you. Let's get back together. We can fix this. And thank God I had the wherewithal in that time period, not to just jump back in and to say, at least... We need to get some counseling. And I remember telling him, I don't think it was that night, but I I remember telling him in that period that I was so afraid of getting back into it, getting married, and then after we were married, punishing him every day for the rest of his life for what had happened before. And I didn't want to be that person to him, even though I was so angry and so hurt I didn't want that to be, like, my legacy in the relationship, you know? Yeah. So 
I told him if it's that hard when you're dating or you're engaged, just say goodbye, walk away. Like, and I didn't know. Less, no, none of us do. None of us do. This is our lesson that we're offering you, listeners. (laughs) If it's that hard when you're dating, it's not going to get anything but harder when you're married. So I tell him that I think we need counseling, and to my surprise, he said no. And I was shocked. I mean, I couldn't believe that he said no. But he said no. And he were you of, like, are you kidding me? I or was were shocked. you just like, what is he thinking? I was shocked, but I thought he was scared. Hmm. I thought that he's afraid of like what that process would bring up, you know, and what we would have to do as part of that work. So he's afraid. So he says no. He went kind of underground and was quiet for a while. And in my naivety, I'm thinking he is wrestling this out. He's certainly, I mean, after all of this, we've come this far. He wants to be with me again. Certainly he's going to say, okay, let's do the counseling so that we can get on with our life. And we would have periodic contact, but it wasn't, it wasn't of any depth and it wasn't like moving the relationship forward. But I still felt that we were in this, it wasn't like an aggressive stalemate, but it was a stalemate where I was sort of holding this, we've got to do counseling. And he was saying no. And then he got really quiet after the first of the year and remained quiet until Easter Sunday, which happened to be in April. So now we're at about a year from the phone call ending the relationship. It's about a year later. And on Easter Sunday, I got a phone call from him. By this time, I had a cell phone. (laughs) And I thought for sure that he had had this. In this period of quiet, I'm praying so hard for him, for us, for our relationship. I was waiting with expectation for him to come back and for us to move the relationship forward. And so the phone call comes, and I think he's had this spiritual experience on Easter, right? An Easter epiphany. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, Easter Sunday, he's had this, like, spiritual experience and how beautiful that everything's going to be reborn for us on Easter Sunday. But what he said, actually, was that that fall... I don't know if it was before the dinner that we had had around Thanksgiving or if it was just after, but that that fall he had run into his high school sweetheart and that they'd started seeing each other again. And not only were they seeing each other again, but that they had decided to get married and he thought I should know. And so this relationship was hard for me because I think it was betrayal on top of betrayal on top of betrayal. You know, the back and forth and the confessions of the like undying love and the disappearing and then the coming back, wanting to reconcile and professing this sort of undying affection. I didn't think of it at the time as a betrayal, but I think it was. Yeah. Well, you never know, like, is it really Where the you end? stand? Yeah. It's never over, but it was over that Easter Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I have not physically spoken voice to voice to him since that day. So it was definitely over that day. But I think that, you know, that was looking back in retrospect, that feels like a layer of betrayal, especially on top of 
you know, the confession that came and then telling me you want to put the relationship back together. And while I think you're wrestling plans for counseling because you're too afraid, you're actually with someone else and talking about building a life with her. And I know nothing about it. And so not only are you like in a new relationship, but you're taking that relationship to marriage. I mean, it was just a stack of things where it's just like, I can't believe even if we're not going to be together, I can't believe after all of our time together that this is the net of it. And I think another thing that made that relationship so difficult to lose is that he was with me through the stuff with my parents in terms of their separation and divorce. So he was the only person that I could have married that would have known me before that pivot point. Like we were talking earlier in the podcast about the books, Yep. you know, he was the only person that had a place in this book that closed that could also have a place in the book that opened. Cause he knew you when he knew me when, and that's not his fault and he shouldn't have to carry that. But the reality for me and the heartbreak was it made it that much harder to lose because not only was I losing him in our relationship, the life that I had had crumbled beneath me. And now the life that I was going to had completely imploded. And so I just felt in a vacuum. Both of the primary relationships that you knew to be so stable, you know, your parents' marriage and your... Even though our relationship wasn't stable. Right. But, but it's like, but is at it, the time, I couldn't... I don't know. I didn't see that. Yeah. But yeah. Like, as a little young and in college, like, you don't have enough life experience to appreciate that it wasn't stable. So you lost the stability of your parents' marriage. So we're forced to close the book on that magical childhood and you also lost the continuity of this college love that you thought was going to kind of carry you through into adulthood and had the the value of roots because he did know you and he did know your family and he did know your life before your parents divorce and how before it changed because of the divorce and that value of roots thing is huge I mean, I think that that was a really, really profound piece and not that this should have been on him, but I think part of what was happening for me at the time was, Hey, you know, our marriage and the life that we're going to build together is going to be how I'm going to heal from this devastation. Like this is wiped out. This is decimated in a way that I totally never saw it coming. And what you and I are building together, the fact that you and I are walking out of the fire, I'm, I'm coming out of that fire with you. That's part of how I will heal is, is making a life with you. And so all of that, you know, fell through my fingers pretty, pretty quickly. And, and it was devastating. Uh, and it took a long time to, I mean, you know, you were there, <laughs> unfortunately for you. I'm not laughing. No, it's okay. It was devastating. It was for tough. It's hard to watch. It was tough. So I think, like, particularly as I'm try- kind of trying to pave the way to this third relationship that I thought was going to be a marriage, this first one that I thought was going to be a marriage, the way that it ended, how it ended, the timing of it, 
all of that set me up to search for love very differently than I had when I had my innocence. And it also taught me that no matter how well you know someone and no matter how much you think you may understand how they tick and operate and, um, I I hate to say this because I feel like it sounds so jaded, but no matter how well you know someone, there's plenty that you just don't know. (laughs) Right. I wish that was not my perspective, but it is even all these years later. Several years later, probably my mid-20s, I met a man at church, which seemed so, you know, perfect. Yeah. This is the perfect way to meet someone. Like, we're really going to be in sync on a lot of things. And we collaborated on a lot of projects at church and had a lot of fun together in that. We were really good friends before we ever started dating and seeing each other romantically. We were together, I think, for, I don't know, somewhere between two and three years, I think, was the time frame on on that relationship. And from the time that we were friends, I knew that he did not want to have children. So when our relationship started to take some, like, romantic turns and we were starting to fall in love with each other, it was complicated because building a family was something I had always wanted, and so, again, a person maybe with more maturity or, or resolve, you know, doesn't allow the relationship to progress when you and that person are not after the same thing. But it takes a lot of strength to do that, especially in your mid-20s, to be like, okay, bye, nope, love you, but you, we don't want the same things, I'm going to walk away. Well, and at the time, I mean, I was so young and I had so much time in front of me, but it didn't feel like I did. It felt like the clock was really ticking mm-hmm. on being able to get married at all and and have children at all. And after having had my life wiped out and the life that I was trying to build wiped out, then several years later to enter into this relationship where there was the possibility of something new, even though children weren't going to be a part of that equation, it was not so easy to let go of, even though I probably should have. And another red flag in that relationship was an addiction that he was dealing with that was really painful for me um, personally watching him struggle with his addiction and at times felt like a betrayal because there were lots of promises around his behavior and the way that he would navigate those impulses um, that ended up feeling, you know, personally hurtful to me. So that, that was another another flag, but I I still pushed through and persevered because I loved him and we were talking about building a life and building a life was a really big deal to me based on where I'd come from. And so it was getting close to my 30th birthday and I don't remember when it started, but in the period before that, like within a couple of months before that, he started talking about, yeah, I don't want to have kids and I'm, I don't know now if I want to get married either. Mm. And I wish I had had the insight to recognize that when someone says that to you, what they're saying is, I don't want to marry you and I don't know how to tell you. 
but I did not connect those dots. So instead, what I did was say, hey, by the time I turn 30, I am not going to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to marry me. So the subtext is figure it out. We're going to get married or we're done. And what that ended up in was us being done, which might have been okay. That might not have been like the biggest blow in the world. I mean, the, the breakup was not easy. It wasn't fun, but the aftermath of the breakup was so much worse than the breakup itself. Because? Because I was out to dinner. I went out to dinner with one of my friends and we ran into him at the restaurant. And as part of that run-in, he shared that he was engaged in getting married. That's how you found out? That's how I found he out. He told you to your face? To my face. How have you not heard of that before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. How did you react? I mean, I basically had superhero strength. I did not let him see me cry. We got through the dinner. I was with Catherine. We got through the dinner. We got out to the parking lot and I lost my I shit. I absolutely lost my shit. I'm sure Catherine was like oh, waiting for thing. it all night because she knew it was coming. That poor thing. She's one of my best girlfriends and she has had to be in so she was <laughs> the, the day she was my roommate the day I got the, the Easter phone call from the first relationship. Are you kidding me? No. Because she plays into the, the third one. She too. plays into the third one too. She, so she was my roommate. She was home with me. She was also with me at this dinner when I find out that he's engaged to, to be married. You know, and for me, I'm such a deep feeler. I'm such a big lover. At six months after the breakup, for me, you know, the body wasn't even cold yet. So the idea of being in a relationship with someone else, much less engaged to be married, after the reason that we split up is because you don't want to get married. Like, what kind of message does that Well, I mean, is, is there any other way to interpret that other than... Oh, okay. Mm-hmm-hmm. Insert cuss words. You, you didn't get want it. You didn't want to get married to me. Well, that is, the and you truth. couldn't have just he said that he didn't want to get married to me. And then the next blow came when several months later I learned they were expecting a <sighs> child. So I came out of that first relationship that I thought was going to end in marriage, really bruised around building a life making a life for myself because the one that I had come from and the one that I thought was going to happen and the life I thought I was going to build with him had completely fallen apart. And then in this second relationship, I was conceding something pretty important to me around having children to try and maintain that relationship, to have it come to an end because we don't want the same things. But then he goes and has those things with somebody else. Now, as far as I'm concerned, within minutes <laughs> right. after after our relationship had ended. And so all of this, I think, really primed the pump for my thinking and my decision making in in this third relationship that I thought was going to lead to marriage and building a life. My sister got married in 2009. And um, that fall, my mom and I went to Greece on a honeymoon because she got me 
<laughs> because she got married. We revisited a place that she and my sister and I had been years prior and then also went on to a smaller island called Philagandros. And while we were on Philagandros, I met someone who um, I didn't know at the time that he wasn't Greek, but he had immigrated to Greece, not through legal channels. <laughs> I was about to say illegally. <laughs> he had immigrated to Greece to work, to try and earn money to send back to his family in his home country, which was Albania. Uh, but I didn't learn any of that until much, much later. So my mom and I are in this little village and we're exploring a little bit the island and, you know, what our days on Philagandros are going to be like. And the, the town was set up in a series of squares. And I remember coming through this square that afternoon and making eye contact with this man and just having like an electric shock go through my body. I mean, I had never experienced anything like it before. Like instant chemistry. Like instant chemistry. And we smiled at each other and that was it. And later that night, my mom and I were at a taverna. We were eating outside uh, as we're sitting there talking about the day and chatting or whatever he the man walks by and we make eye contact and the same you know the same thing happens like we're clearly looking at each other and then my mom and I are whispering about the fact that he just walked by and wonder if I'll see him again and sure enough a few minutes later saw him again <laughs> and so it became clear pretty quickly that he was he was making rounds too because he was feeling something too and so I don't know, after like five or six times passing by, he finally stopped and waved me over. And so I left the table and went to talk to him. And in very broken English, he introduced himself and I introduced myself. And he asked me if I wanted to have a drink. And I accepted. So after my mom and I finished dinner, I went I went with him and I did... I did all the things that you're not supposed to do because I left the scene of the crime. <laughs> I got in a car. We should have just stayed in the square and gone to a little yeah. bar in the next square over. But again, his English was very broken. So our communication was really tricky. And yeah, I got in the car and he went to this market where he had been working and picked up some booze and then drove us down to the beach. So we had a bottle of whiskey and a walk on the beach. And while we were on the beach, he called, uh, who was a cousin, but he was describing to me as a brother who lived in New York. And this guy obviously is also Albanian, so speaks fluent Albanian, but also really good English. And so he was translating some conversation for us by phone that night as we're walking up and down the beach and the long and short of it was <laughs> I mean he really started off with I think I'm going to marry you wow and I was wow like you know shocked but then there was this other part of me that was like well I felt the zing too like is this what it's supposed to feel like maybe this is a thing so we had this, you know, little affair over the couple of days that we were on Philagandros, and 
it was it was great fun and really exciting. I mean, it kind of felt like living in a movie. I mean, the stuff that the stuff that was unfolding was it's not normal life to just run into some foreigner in a small village and on a tiny island in Greece. Exactly. I mean, the whole thing is just so like, oh. So I remember taking the ferry back to uh, the mainland so that we could travel home once our time on Felagandros had come to a close. And I remember sitting on the ferry and thinking, this is such a raw deal because, of course, I, I connect with someone who lives half a world away. It could never be anything. And it was really fun that we had had this flirtation and this little romance for a couple of days, but I just felt really cheated because it just seemed so cruel that there would be someone I could connect with, but that we weren't actually going to be able to have a relationship. When I got back to the United States, we stayed in contact. And I mean, really quickly, even after I got back home from this trip, I felt like he was pursuing me so much with such intention, so much more intention than I had felt in a really long time. I mean, remember my, my last relationship ended with, yeah, I don't think I want to get married. And this person lays eyes on me and is like, I want to be with you until I die. You are my heart. I mean, it was like very intense. It's like a thunderclap. Yeah. And I was skeptical about it. But he was so consistent over time that it that it started to soften me, and I thought, "Oh my God, this guy's for real. I mean, he's serious. This is not just a a language barrier and a problem with translation, or this is not just you know an intense wave of initial emotion that fades really quick. I mean, he he was consistent." So he asked me, he was planning to go back to Albania for the Christmas holiday. So we took that trip in September, I think. So like four months later, he was going to go back to Albania for Christmas and wanted me to come and meet his family and spend some more time with him. So I did. I bought a plane ticket and I flew to frickin' Albania and spent and spent the new year there. And it was lovely. I mean, just like the time on Felagandros was this like idyllic living in a movie situation, the time in Albania in his village over the new year was the same. And not necessarily for the romance, but just like it was just crazy. You know, Albania is a Muslim country and so they have very different customs than we do. And his village is quite small. So I flew into the capital city and he met me there. And then we went north to his village, which is actually really close to the border of Kosovo. And part of what had made me feel like I was going to be safe in the hands of these people is that they had hosted a lot of refugees during that crisis. The Albanians family had? Yes. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I mean, it sounds dumb, but it was like, these are, these are good people. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not in danger, but just customs wise, it was so different than I ever could have imagined or would have experienced. I mean, 
it was a big deal that there was an American in the village. So a lot of people were trying to see me or meet me and people would come by the compound and they would hurry me up the stairs and they would entertain these friends and neighbors and then send them back in without making any introductions. I think they were trying to maintain my privacy, but still be kind and hospitable to their neighbors. But it was like, it was, it was like I was this exotic, you know, creature from afar. And I'm, I'm sure that protective gesture felt very, very loving. It did. Yeah. It didn't, it did not feel like I was captive in any way. It, it did feel very, very gentle and sweet. Um, I felt like they didn't want me to have to deal with all of that. And, um, so anyway, culturally it was a really fascinating experience and that, that trip in and of itself is probably, you know, a whole other episode if that was something people were curious about. But the long and short of it was that we had this idyllic time together. And while I was there, I learned a little bit more about Albania and their restrictions associated with his ability to come to the U.S. So I don't know if this is still true in in terms of like global politics, but at the time, so Al, as a communist country, the government oversees a lot for the Albanian people, and they have a pretty tight grip on visas that allow people to travel outside the country. And so that is the reason why he had immigrated to Greece, and we chuckled about like not through legal channels, because the Albanian government never would have allowed him to go. And they wouldn't allow him to come to the U.S. They actually have a visa lottery system. But the the word on the street is that the only people who get those visas are people who are of retirement age, who clearly are just going to pay a visit. It's strictly tourism. They want to keep their citizens. They want to keep home. their citizens in the country. And a big part of my understanding of that was that young people were leaving Albania in droves for more opportunity and a bigger, better life. And that was contributing to the economic collapse. And so this was part of the government's response to trying to conserve and maintain the country. So it, it, it became, and I learned a lot on that trip about his immigration to Greece and the number of times that he had done that. And we talked about the periods that he'd spent in Greek jail and had been sent back to Albania. And then he would walk the terrain again to be able to cross the border and would basically get these under the table jobs and try to settle himself into a life in Greece so that he could send money home to his mother and brother and sisters. And at the end of that trip, uh, we were back in the capital city so that I could climb on a flight the next day. And I remember sitting with him at this cafe. We were kind of, I don't know, just like closing out our time together. And he took my hand and was holding it in one of his hands, like palm up. And I remember he said to me, I'm here. And he took his finger and set it in the middle of my open palm. And then he followed that by saying, basically, it's up to you 
to decide if you're going to like he he lifted my hand and like blew like on a dandelion it's up to you if you're just gonna float this away Mm -hmm. or if you're going to hold on and he he closed my fingers over over my palm as if to you know grasp or hold on so I left Albania no again feeling very cheated because here is this person who's being consistent who seems to love me is being gentle and affectionate with me what an exotic experience I'm having with his family and his home country I mean just so many fascinating things that sort of add to the romanticism of all of it separate and apart from the relationship and this person lives a half a world away and his country will not let him come visit me and he doesn't have paperwork that says he's Greek he can't travel as if from Greece he's got an Albanian passport and he's in Greece illegally not through the proper channels so where do we go from here so by February uh, after coming home it was you know clear that he could not come to the US on a tourist visa his education in Albania finished at the eighth grade and I don't know what an eighth grade village Albanian education is in comparison to like U.S. public education you know like Mm -hmm. would that would the eighth grade equivalent hold across countries I don't know but he he wasn't going to be able to come to the U.S. on a student visa or under the guise of pursuing some sort of higher education I mean he was a shepherd in his home country his until he left for Greece his thing was working the mountainside with goats that was what he did that was his vocation and then when he went to Greece he had different you know earning potential working for various employers that he could find to take him on but it's not like he was a a tradesman or a craftsman that could have come here under the guise of like an employment visa no yeah no nothing no formal training that would have helped him come here furthering his education was not going to be an argument that we could make so an immigration attorney might have different ideas for me and for us but at the time really the only way I could see that we could continue to explore the relationship is if I left the U.S. and went to be with him in Greece and that was something that we talked about in fact he would go on and on and on about how if I didn't want to live in Greece it was okay we could live in Albania. We could live in Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> he, would like, he would rattle off, you know, all these options were just places that I was not going to go make a life. But he was trying to demonstrate his openness to me about whatever it takes to make it work. Right. So I could have gone to him, which I wasn't feeling comfortable doing. Or I could have had him come to me under a fiancé visa, a K-1 visa, which the way that that works for U.S. citizens is that you can make a petition to have a foreigner come to the United States because you're engaged and planning to marry, and then you have 90 calendar days from the time that person sets foot on U.S. soil to 
file your marriage paperwork. It was not an easy decision to make because I don't take marriage lightly. On the other hand, this person had been demonstrating more commitment to me than I had seen from a romantic interest in a long time. And so I took the leap. I applied for a K-1 visa. It was granted and he came to the United States on Christmas Day of 2010. And that started the clock for our 90 days. At the time, I wasn't sure that we were going to get married, but it makes me nervous actually to, to talk about some of this because I don't know if, I don't know how immigration would feel about what I'm saying. You know, if this would feel like I'm working the system or com- committed some sort of fraud. I don't know what scares me to... But anyway, I didn't know for sure if we were going to get married. The plan was to use that 90 days to see if we could get there. And if we couldn't, then he was go- he was going to go home. That was the way that it started. And the 90 days was tough. Um, it is really hard to be somebody's partner, but help them to assimilate to a new place to live. Mm-hmm. The language barrier... Culturally, I think it was really difficult because it was hard for him that I was the worker. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't work until his work permit came through, and that was way later in the process. So it was very hard for him for me to get up and leave the house and be gone all day working um, as a woman when he's home. Interesting. And it was hard for him for me to, you know, drive by myself. (laughs) And so we would have that conversation a lot where I would remind him, you know, I'm an American. This is very different for me. I look at this very differently than you do. Like he thought a man should be with you while you were driving. Yeah. Or that a man should drive. And he would, I mean, we would laugh about these things. He wasn't, he wasn't rigid in them in a way where it was a conflict or a problem. But I think culturally, it was hard for him to be home when I was being independent. You know, if we were in Albania, I couldn't leave the compound without a male escort. And that was under the guise of safety. And quite frankly, I mean, I didn't have any reason or desire to leave the compound without an escort. If I had lived there, I probably would have gotten to a place where I wanted for sure. To be more independent. Yeah. But at the time that I was there, you know, that wasn't a problem for me. I actually welcomed the company because I had no idea where I was or what I was right. doing. So that helped me feel safer. Anyway, so that 90 days was really, really tough. And it got to a place where we were starting to run out of time. And it was not clear what should be happening with the relationship. I wasn't ready to get married but I also wasn't ready to ask him to go home. I felt like we needed more time. And so the arrangement that we agreed on was that we were going to have a legal ceremony. We were gonna get married on paper so that we could meet that standard for immigration and and trigger the next step in the K-1 process. But that we would wait to have a religious ceremony until we were sure that we wanted to 
be married until I was sure. Because he was pretty sure. He was sure. He, he, I mean, he knew from day one he wanted to marry you. Well, at least that's what he said, right? So, yeah, until I was sure we weren't going to have a religious ceremony. So that meant that we were not commingling finances. I wasn't taking his name. He had his room. I had mine. And we were, you know, going to continue to explore our relationship, trying to like get to the bottom of it and get to a place where it felt good to move forward with a religious or spiritual ceremony. So we just needed to wait and see what was going to happen. And in early July, I got a phone call from Catherine, the, the, the friend who was there in all of these. Yeah. She is pivotal. In she these. is pivotal. She is pivotal. Love her. She calls me and she says, I've got to see you today. I, I need to talk to you. Hey everyone, it's Jen stepping in to push pause one more time. Our final installment of this story comes next. It's the third episode, uh, but for today, this is where we have to bring it to a close. Join us next time where we'll learn what it is that Catherine just had to tell me that day. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me, with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at know at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. All I know at inwardboundco.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allIKnow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>